You're listening to the sermon podcast of North Valley Baptist Church. This week's message is preached by Pastor Scott McGrady. You take your Bibles and turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 5 here this morning. Titus 2, two verses 1 through 5. In many church ministries, there's a great emphasis on bringing young families and youth into the church. And there are a plethora of reasons. I don't, I don't agree with all of the reasons. But there, there is uh, one of the reasons that is, is that eventually elderly will pass on to glory. And so there is, and it's true, there, there is a, a sense in which the future of the church, for as long as Christ tarries before he returns, that the future of the church resides in there being young families. And that's, that's valid. But when this idea is carried on to the point of we just pour all of our resources and everything into the youth and young families, we don't make any place for older men and older women in the church, we, we miss what clearly is biblically a healthy church. We need older men and older women. The value that is in older godly saints cannot be missed in the church. And so too, if you say we need to do what we can to, to get younger families in here, and then the truth of the matter is that we better be doing what we can to have older saints here. And anyone who is older and mature, who is here, better be ready to pour themselves into the lives of those younger families. How can we say that we need to bring in more young families, more youth, more children, if we do not have the mature saints who are willing to be sacrificial with their time and sacrifice of themselves for the younger, for the less mature in Christ? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we don't have older and more mature saints who are willing to disciple and willing to pour themselves into younger Christians and younger men and women. As a matter of fact, even saying this, I, I have some names in my head rolling around that I can give examples of, of ones who have done different things to, to show that they are more than willing and eager to pour themselves into others. But if we're going to say we need to bring in more young families, then I think we need to be ready to disciple those young families and give of ourselves to train them. So isn't that the pastor's job? Yeah. But not just the pastor's job. It's all of our jobs, every one of us has that responsibility. And even just looking at our text here this morning, which is what is prompting me to talk about this and say this, we see Paul is not addressing what the pastors are to do or what the pastors are to be here. Here, we read Paul telling Titus in verses 1 through 10 of what the entire church is to be. And here, as we focus in on verses 1 through 5, we specifically see him addressing the older men and the older women. Now, the last few weeks, we've read about the, the purpose that Paul left Titus there on the island of Crete. 
and that it was to straighten out that which was left unfinished. And that included the need to appoint qualified leaders in every town there on the island of Crete. He was to appoint elders or overseers who were above reproach. And so with that, we read what the leaders in the church should be like. And since with the rise of false teachers as well that we've seen him address, we see what teachers and leaders in the church should not be like. As we see that there were unqualified leaders rising up in the church there in Crete. Now, as we look at our text here this morning, we see not what the leaders are to be like, but we see what the church as a whole is to be like. At least we begin to here in this first part. Paul moves from addressing how the leaders are to be to addressing the whole congregation. Again, we'll see this in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And here this morning, we're going to specifically look at, as we come to verse 1, we'll see how Titus was to teach what was in line with sound doctrine. And we'll see that this is clearly in contrast to the false teachers. And then in verse 2, we see Paul addresses how older men in the church are to be. And in verse 3, he addresses how older women in the church are to be. And in verses 4 through 5, we see how younger women in the church are to be. And we see that through Titus telling the older women to teach the younger women and what they're to teach them. And then as we continue through this next week, we'll see Paul addresses Titus to urge the young men and what they're to be. We're going to see Paul tell Titus what the example he is to leave. And then how slaves in the church are to be as well. Again, what we see from all that is going on and what we'll go over today and next Sunday is that the church is to be a body of truth where there is instruction in pure doctrine which results in pure living. And so if we truly believe what we profess to believe, if we truly hold to the, the truth of Scripture and the doctrines found there, then our practice, our living, our actions must be in line with what we claim to believe, with those truths in Scripture that we claim to hold to. We believe that this is the Word of God, right? We believe there is only one way to heaven, right? We believe what Scripture says, that we're all sinners, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God, that we have broken God's law and so have earned His wrath, that none of us are good in of ourselves. And God being a holy and just God, He will mete out that wrath we deserve. And yet, God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That whoever turns from their sin and puts their faith in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation will be saved, believing on Christ who paid for their sins at Calvary, who rose again to bring them life. If we believe this, if we believe that Jesus is Lord, if we believe in what the scriptures talk about in the sanctity, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, growing us in holiness, and on and on we can keep going with all of these areas of doctrine. If we believe what is pure doctrine, then our lives and our practice must line up with that. So with that said, let's look at our text here for this morning. Titus chapter 2. 
verses 1 through 5. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. As we left off last time with Paul addressing uh, the need to silence the false teachers that were rising up there in Crete, those who were contradicting the gospel of grace, teaching what should not be taught for shameful gain, and, and in doing so, destroying homes, we see Paul address Titus here, telling him what he was to be. And as we come to chapter 2, verse 1, we see this is in contrast to what he just said. Again, in chapter 1, verses 10 through 16, Talking about the false teachers, uh, we see everything that the false teachers were. And so coming then to chapter 2, and Paul says, but you, but you, Titus. And so again, we see here in verse 1, Titus was to teach what was in line with sound doctrine. And as Paul discussed the false teachers, we read Paul talk about them, saying that the teachers were empty talkers. Uh, they were false teachers that are deceivers that they must be silenced, that the false teachers teaching again for shameful gain, and they were devoted to myths, Jewish myths, and commands of men. The end of chapter 1 there, Paul says, they are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. And in chapter 2, he says, but you, Titus, but you, unlike the false teachers, you teach what accords with sound doctrine. So what Titus was to teach, in contrast to the false teachers, is what lined up with the truth of God's word. He was to teach what was true, what was sound or what was healthy. Titus, like the elders, was to hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. And again, the following verses that we see here is Titus' responsibility to teach Right behavior, that which was in line with true doctrine, with healthy doctrine, sound doctrine. And so like we've said before, it is clear in this that sound doctrine and living, our behavior, go hand in hand. You can't separate those two things. And when we as a church or as individuals, we who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ, our Lord, when we live out what we believe, we strengthen our testimony. If our living is marked with glaring contradictions to what we claim to believe, then what credibility will be seen in us when we try to proclaim what we believe to an unbelieving world? If our lives bring into question whether or not we truly believe the gospel, that we truly believe Jesus is Lord, how then can we compel others to believe these things? 
And as we've gone over, in protecting the church from false teaching, the elders had to teach what was sound doctrine. And we saw that in chapter 1, verse 9. And again, as Titus 2 is to teach sound doctrine, he's also to teach the behaviors that are in line with that sound doctrine. And so then Paul begins to address the different individuals in the church, which had to be told this is how they are to be. This is what their lives should look like. And so we come to chapter, verse 2. And in verse 2, we see the first group that Paul addresses, and that is the older men in the church. And as we see going through this, again, there are older men, and we'll see in verse 3, there are older women. And Paul is saying, listen, there, there is a, a living and a service that they have that is vital to the church. And we see the older men, they are to be sober-minded. The word translated here as sober-minded could refer to not being intoxicated, it also carries the idea of self-control. And as I understand how this word is often used, we should understand this as referring to not indulging or not overindulging or self-indulging. And yes, it's in the idea of alcohol, but it can also be in the idea of anything. In any way, don't be overindulging. Practice self-control. Some translations say temperate. These men are to take things in moderation and therefore practice self-control. We see, too, the older men should be dignified. They're to live respectful lives. Others should be able to look up to them and admire them. Not that they're overly serious about themselves, but they live in such a way that others can't help but respect them. You know, there, there are certain men, men older than me, that if I were to talk to them, I don't think I could ever refer to them by their first name. I don't think we could ever be on a, a first name basis. Uh, for no other reason than I, I just have such respect for them and admiration for them. And so I don't think I could ever bring myself to just call them by their first name. And these are the kind of men that Paul is saying the older men in the church should be. You know, too, elsewhere, we see Paul gives instructions for living exemplary lives and living lives that others could follow and in following those lives be more like Jesus. We'll see that this is the idea, too, when we read about the older women. But older men, in being respectable, they should be an example to the younger men and to the youth in the church. And so if you are older, are you an example to those who are younger than you? That they could follow you? Are you living in such a way that those younger than you want to follow your example and know that by doing so, they themselves will be more like Jesus? That's what Paul is calling for. And with that, then, Paul also calls the older men to be self-controlled, or you could say sensible. They should be able to reason well and discern matters well. His maturity should come through in his priorities and his practices, that he knows how life works, 
But his life is saturated in the scriptures. And so he can think through questions and doubts and circumstances clearly. And as far as clear thinking goes, this idea here of sensibility carries the idea of of self-control as well. Because it can be the idea of being level-headed. This should lead the older men to not lack an appropriate seriousness and to not be careless. And I think this acknowledges the truth of where they are in life. Uh, Because very often in our our youthful years, we can tend to be reckless, lacking maturity, and driven by our emotions rather than logic. We can be careless. And I think in part, even as we, we think of other passages of Scripture, this then allows the elderly, the older men, to be an example to the youth. The older men should be in the church, uh, those whom the youth can learn from and look to and aspire to be like. That even now, they should understand that they need to be driving to be level-headed, not led by their emotions, as they, they watch their examples live that way. See, because it's in our older years that we can look back on our lives and we can name our regrets. And so we can speak into the lives of those younger than us and hope that they will learn from our own mistakes. You know, someone once wisely said that we can't live long enough to make all the mistakes we need to learn from ourselves, so we need to learn from others' mistakes, right? And so we can press them onto maturity and to to strive for being godly men even now in their youth. what older men can do for those younger than them in the church. You know, because we can all look back on our younger years and have regrets in some areas, right? Uh, Even as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about, man, you know, and how many times I think about this, if I'm honest. (laughs) But, man, if I could just go talk to myself 20 years ago, 10 years ago, and straighten myself out. And really, if I'm honest, (laughs) I'd like to talk to myself even just before this past week began uh, to tell myself a few things. Uh, But we know what it is to have regret, and and we don't want those coming after us to fall into those same errors that we did. So we want to follow and be the example to those who, who are after us, those who are younger than us. That every man in the church would aspire to all that Paul tells should be the characterization of these older men. We should all be striving to be men of godly character, living godly lives. Matter of fact, Paul in different places says that all believers should demonstrate temperance and sensibility in their lives. And so as Paul goes on then about how these older men are to be, he says that they're to be sound. Uh, Just as Titus was to teach sound doctrine. These men were to be sound or to be healthy. And and healthy in what? He says sound in faith, in love, and steadfastness. Older men are to have a a sound, healthy faith in God, a a healthy trust in God. Even through life's hurts and confusions, uh, they can trust in God's wisdom, omnipotence, and his goodness through it all. Even through everything that life has thrown at them, they have learned that in every way and in every circumstance, God can be trusted, and his right purposes will prevail. 
those who do not have the years of experience, they can look at those who do and understand that God has brought them through everything they faced. In their life, God has been faithful. And since we serve the same God, the younger can trust that God will bring them through as well. And God will be faithful to them as well. So they're to be sound in their trust in God, sound in faith. They're also to be sound in love, in biblical love. Biblical love is not warm fuzzies kind of love. It's not sentimental kind of love. It's not whimsical, over-emotional, that, that last conviction and doesn't stand for anything. You know, we discussed last week, this is a love that looks out for what is best for the other person, even if what is best for that person means a rebuke. Love isn't doing just what's easy for me. Love is putting uh, the other person ahead of myself. Loving them above loving myself. That's what true biblical love is. So this is a love that is sacrificial. And Paul says the, the older men should be sound in love. And finally, they are to be sound in steadfastness or patience or perseverance. Their faith and their hope can hold up no matter what comes their way. Through temptation, through suffering and disappointment. They keep the course because their hope is not set on the things of this world, things of the here and now, but their hope is set on eternity with their Lord. Their hope is set and anchored in Jesus Christ so they can be sound in perseverance. My friends, are, are you and I marked with perseverance in our Christian walk, in our lives? Do we withstand what comes our way with a hope that is set on what eternally matters, on what Christ has secured for us beyond the here and now? Or are our lives so tied up in this world? Are our desires so wrapped in the here and now that we're devastated when things fall apart, when, when things of this world, the temporary things, fall away? Or do we persevere in pursuit of what eternally matters, in pursuit of the hope and the victory that Christ won and the promise that we have in him that cannot be taken away? Do we live lives that are bent on glorifying our great God through it all? That whatever comes as the years continue, for however long God desires to keep us here on this earth, whatever happens in that time, do we strive to finish strong? That we persevere. And so as Paul was giving his life as an example for young Timothy to follow, Paul could say to him, I have fought the good fight and I have finished the race. Are we living in such perseverance that we would be able to say the same thing and to give our lives as an example for those who would follow us? And then in verse 3, we see Paul turns his attention to the older women. He says in verse 3, Older women likewise. Uh, just as this is how the older men was to live, likewise then the older women are to be like this. What he's saying. And so they are to be reverent in behavior. The word translated as reverent here 
is a word that means priest-like. It came to reference something that is fit for holiness. So like a priest is set aside and set apart for God's service. And that holiness means being set apart. You know, in the Old Testament, not everyone could be a priest. Only the men and only certain men from the tribe of Levi could be priests. That was it. But we see, specifically in Numbers chapter 6, that anyone could be dedicated to the Lord. And we see that as he talks about the Nazarite vow there. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ and the New Covenant Church, we're all to be dedicated to our Lord in everything. We're to be set apart as holy. And the word behavior here refers to what can be observed in her outward living that flows from her inward character. In other words, these women are to be holy examples. And so I think when the Net Bible translated this verse, I think it got it exactly right when it says that women are to exhibit behavior fitting for those who are holy. That's exactly what Paul's getting at here. It's exactly what he's saying. It's what their lives should look like. You know, they say that someone's always watching you. And so my question to you is, who is watching you? Who is taking their cues from you? You What do our kids see in us that they would emulate in our lives? Do they see a holy character producing a life of respectable behavior? Uh, This specifically here, Paul is addressing the older women in this. And so the older women should hold themselves to all that is modest, true, love, all that is part of their devotion to their Lord and submission to Him, all the appropriateness that Scripture calls them to. And so with that, Paul says that the older women should not be slanderers. They're not to be gossips. They're not to be listening to gossip. They're not to be spreading gossip. They're going to seek to have no part in it in any way, even when it's veiled in a prayer request. They're not to be slanderers. They cannot serve God, be priest-like. They can't do that with gossip. Also, too, something I think is closely related to this, that the older women were also not to be enslaved to excessive drink or much wine. Now, if you're already struggling with not being a gossip, loosening your tongue with alcohol isn't going to help. And I think that was often a problem. But we see alcohol causes us to not live respectable lives, but live lives that lack self-control. And so the women are not to be enslaved to or addicted to too much wine. And this clearly must have been things that were a problem there for the women on Crete. But these elderly women should be an example of those who have mastered their emotions and fleshly appetites. Again, as opposed to alcohol, that causes us to lose control and dishonor our Lord with what we do. And so being themselves examples of holiness, they were to teach what was good. 
Now this one Greek word that is translated as teach what is good, this in its context does not refer to something that is considered formal teaching. Uh, this does not refer to the teaching of the church that is specifically designed for the elders of the church. Uh, and, and with that and other teaching that would only be appropriate for qualified men. Nor does this refer to the teaching of children in Sunday school or, or standing before a group of women and teaching in that way. Again, anything that would be considered a formal teaching is not what's in reference here. Uh, but in the context, as we'll see the reason for this teaching in the next verse, uh, this teaching is within the relationship that these older women have with younger women. Available for advice. In a position to approach another woman as needed to either bring correction or encouragement or a rebuke or exhortation or in any way to pass on knowledge, but also living a life that is seen by them, to be emulated by them as one who teaches by example. This is what it means, what it looks like to disciple someone else. And we are all called to be active in the ministry of discipling others, in teaching others to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us. And so as we come to verse 4, we see that the reason the older women are to teach what is good is in order to train the younger women. And the word train here carries the idea of, of bringing someone to their senses, of showing them what is right thinking. You know, sometimes the elderly within the church have the mindset that they, they need to just, you know, kind of step aside. That they've been in the church for so long and, and they've been doing different things. And so uh, they're of a certain age now. It's time to step aside and let others kind of fill the thing while they now sit back and kind of retire from their church membership activity. But I think as we've been going through this with the older men and the older women, that, that is not something that is a biblical idea. No matter your age, if you are part of the body of Christ, you have work to do in the body of Christ. You have a place. You have a job. That as we see in Ephesians 4, that each one doing their part, the body would grow up into its head. That we would grow into Christ-likeness. That each one of us are here so that through you, God would meet the needs of the church. We all have work to do no matter our age. And so, too, we see that older women had work to do to teach the younger women. And so here, as Paul says this, then we see in verses 4 and 5 what the younger women were to be, because this is what the older women were to teach them. And so we see they were to love their husbands and children. And so clearly in, in this passage, at least, what is specifically in view are married women and or women with children. And I think looking at this is important. For a really long time now, the role of women in the home and in society has been under great attack. But we need to understand this is God's design for his purposes. And so as we look at this passage, we see this love. This is what God commands. It's not based on how good your husband is. 
And there are certain weeks and maybe even months that I'm very grateful for that. It's not based on him earning your love. And even love for the children, it's not based on anything about them. But this is what God commands. Love your husbands, love your children. Be committed to your husband and children. And in doing so, you are submitting yourself to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And along with that, in submission to their Lord, they are to be self-controlled. Or again, this is the word sensible. Just like we saw with the older men and like we saw when we went over uh, what the elders are to be. They are to be clear thinking. Being able to discern matters and circumstances. They're to be level-headed. Not just pulled every which direction on every whim of emotion. We also see that they're to be pure. And this is a moral, sexual purity. This then means that the younger women are to practice modesty, not in just how they dress, but in how they act, too. Controlling their sexual desires. And I would argue that sexual purity does not only mean abstaining from what is wrong and outside of God's plan for sex, but it is also pursuing what is right and within God's will. And so pursuing their husbands and their marital fidelity. And, husbands, the same goes for you in your pursuit of purity. And we also see that women are also to be busy at home. Now, this does not mean that a, a woman cannot work outside the home. And I think we, we see that clearly in Proverbs 31. That that woman described there, uh, that is an exemplary woman, worked outside the home. But it does mean that her primary responsibility is the care of the home and children. Again, God has created men and women equal. Uh, we are all equally created in the image of God. We are all equal participants in his grace. But God made men and women different. I know to say that is taboo anymore. But that doesn't change the truth. God made them different and so gave them different roles to fulfill in his plan for the home and for the church and society. The husband's primary responsibility is as the provider and protector, while the wife's primary responsibility is in the home. And this doesn't mean there's not overlap. Again, it doesn't mean she can't work outside the home. And it doesn't mean, husbands, that we can't help out in the home. And unfortunately, much of the time, it's true that, that we need to do better at that, right? We need to be serving our wives and helping out in the home. Next, the older women are to teach the younger women to be kind. <coughs> now, women are not to be irritable, but in their attitude and in their, the way they go about their service to their family, that they're to have a, a good attitude. They are to be kind. And lastly, in the order that God has designed the home, he tells the wives here that they are to be submissive to their own husbands. 
Again, in the order that God has created in the home and in society, we are all to submit to somebody. All of us have authorities over us. A matter of fact, one of the prevailing characteristics of being a Christian is that we are submissive. And so Christians should be found being submissive. And in all that we are to submit to, our ultimate submission is to be to our Lord. And so even to the other areas of authority that are over us, that should never cause us to come against what our God has called us to. We submit to him first above all. And so even in our submission, though, to those things that God has called us to submit to, ultimately in doing that, we are submitting to him. And so God has put an order in the home, and he has made it that the husbands are to lead their homes, be head of the household. Vody Bauckham, he asked this and trying to work this out for people. He said, what do you call something that has two heads? The answer is a monster. That there has to be someone who who leads and someone who gives direction. If there's vying for that, that, that's going to be disastrous. Especially as all of us are are sinful. God's submission to God's order of things submits to his wisdom and his plan. And again, here we see that it's, it's also just the order that he has given. It's not beyond that. Uh, wives here are called to submit to their own husbands. It doesn't mean they submit to every man or every other husband. Or only, only those that God has put over them in their household for his purposes. And this in no way means that she is a doormat or anything like that. Elsewhere, husbands are called to love their wives as Christ loved the church. You know, just like we discussed with elders, the authority that they have as a husband is not an authority to be a dictator or a ruler or anything like that, but it is so that they can lead the church in serving or lead their families in serving their families and coming up to lift up their families and give of themselves for their families. So they're not leading according to their own desires and flesh, but they're leading into seeing what is best for their family, to exalt and lift up their family, to lift up their wives looking for her best interest, laying down his own life for her so that he would serve her. Also, nowhere in Scripture is a husband told that he is to make his wife submit. If she submits, she submits of her own will to do so, out of her ultimate submission to her Lord. Again, this is one reason why Paul tells the older women to teach the younger women to submit to their own husbands because they're to do it out of their own will. Now, we see at the end of verse 5 here that the reason the older women should teach younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands is in order that the word of God may not be reviled. Really, And what Paul is saying here, this is what's at stake. You know, we asked last week, how valuable is pure doctrine to you? How passionate are you for there to be only true doctrine taught here? 
How much do you care about that? And really, that's a question of how much do we care about lifting up God's word? And part of that is understanding that we can have all of our doctrine right. We can have it all straightened out. We can be Bible scholars. But if what we know and believe does not come out in our attitudes and our actions, then it's all meaningless. Our faith must be worked out. And when it's not, we give opportunity for the world to revile or blaspheme God's word. And as the issues that were there in Crete that, that Paul is clearly addressing through instructing on what the older men and older women and, and how they are to teach the younger women to be, that they're saying, listen, we believe God's word. We believe this is our Lord. And yet, the other people in Crete see them living in, in ways that are contrast to what Paul is saying here. That would bring into question for them whether or not they really believed who they claim is their Lord. And we too. If we live in what is contrast to this, when we see in our world that there's the notion that a man's role is a woman's role and a man's role, and there's no distinction, and the world scoffs at the order of things that God has put into place, in a world that goes as far as to say that, that gender is just a social construct, which is insanity. To say that there's no differences, I mean, listen, for the last year and over a year, we've been told follow the science, right? How can we say that gender is just a social construct if we're following the science? There's truth in these things. But in a world that scoffs at all of these things, when our own lives don't match up to what God's word says, we aid in that scoffing. When we don't show the effect and the submission to God's word in our own lives, we give the world reason to point at us and say, see, God's word isn't really true. God's word doesn't really have power because it has no effect on your life. It makes no difference. We add to their scoffing. And so we ultimately dishonor God's word and so dishonor God. We say we love Jesus. We say we believe that this is God's word. But it is sad when, despite what we profess, despite what we say with our lips, we actually say something that is not much different than the world with our actions. And so we need to be pursuing more and more to submit ourselves to God's word in everything. That we would live as the word calls us to, that among us the word would not be reviled, would not be blasphemed. And so that we are putting off sin and more and more, and that each one of us are putting off hypocrisy more and more. And in that, I think it's clear, we need the older saints, the older and mature saints, to aid in that. To be loving God's word and teaching others to love God's word. Be an example of loving God's word with their own lives. That we all might grow together 
and be healthy church members. That North Valley would be a healthy church that honors God by honoring his word. That's what we're striving for. So let's look at what it looks like to be a healthy church, what, what Paul called each one in the church to be. Let's look at what the older men are to be, the older women, and what they're to instruct the younger women to, discipling each other. And then next week, too, we'll see the younger men and, and others as well. Let's strive to be a church that honors God's word because we're a church that honors our God. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of North Valley Baptist Church. For the complete sermon archive and more information about the church, please go to visit nvbc.com.